before I get started on the topic of dating and convenience, which I had to say right now because, oh my God, there's going to be trucks driving by and everything throughout this podcast episode. There's construction outside and I'm doing this at a time where they're doing construction outside. So bear with me through the noises that you might hear periodically. Um, I think that I'll talk loud enough to drown it out for the most part. But um, topic of this episode is going to be dating and convenience. And of course, we're going to throw herpes in there and how that impacts things. But first, I want to read a story that someone wrote in. So during this pandemic, it's been a little bit challenging to get guests. Um Meet, meeting with people in person, of course, uh, and that's the direction that I want to go with this, um, just due to the technical difficulties and just being in front of a person is a lot more of a different feel to it than doing it over Zoom or doing it over um, Facebook Messenger, how I have before, and I'm also not working with the same equipment that I had, as I mentioned in just about every other episode. So I'm going to go ahead and get started with uh, someone who wrote in. I'm going to read their story. It's a pretty long one here. So, I had gotten out of an emotionally abusive relationship and was talking to a guy that I had known in high school. At the time, I was telling him about my relationship. He was super sweet and supportive, and I felt very safe with him. We started hooking up, and he sometimes would tell me, I want to have no-kiss sex. I asked him why, and he told me, it's more exciting if we don't kiss. And I was 21 and stupid, so I went along with it. The morning of my 22nd birthday, I woke up with an outbreak all over my genitals and this deep, stinging pain in the backs of my thighs. I went into my best friend's room, who I lived with at the time, and asked her if I could show her something. She looked at it and ended up Googling and figured out that it was probably herpes. I immediately texted the guy as I had sex with him two days prior and asked him if he had anything. He said, what do you mean? And I explained STDs, like anything like that. He said no and asked me why. I told him, well, something isn't right. Something is going on. And he just kind of, he just kind of ghosted after that. I tried to make a doctor's appointment for the next day, but since it was the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, my doctor's office was closed. I made an appointment for the Monday after Thanksgiving and just tried to make the best of my birthday and Thanksgiving weekend. Oh, Scorpio. Whoop, whoop. Wait, maybe not Scorpio. What's the one right after Scorpio? Nope. Can't remember, because <laughs> that's the only one that matters, duh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I had such bad anxiety, and the pain in my thighs just wouldn't go away, that I continually popped Tylenol almost every two to four hours just to help with the pain in the backs of my thighs. I was so paranoid during dinner that I wouldn't let anyone share my drinks. I was just scared of everything, or possibly giving it to anyone. Even though it was on my genitals and not my lips, I assumed I could still pass it through my lips. On Monday morning, my best friend drove me to the doctor's office. My doctor took one look and said, yep, that looks like herpes. She did a swab test and then sent me down the hall to get my blood drawn. After getting my blood drawn, I went, to, I went back to the exam room and just broke down into tears. My doctor popped her head in, saw me crying and said, I called in a prescription for you. You can go home now. So I left still sobbing. On the drive home, I immediately called the guy and told him the news. He told me, yeah, I've had herpes since I was eight. I got it from another kid at school. My doctor said I sh it shouldn't be contagious, though. And we had no kiss sex, so I don't know how you got it. I have gotten, <clears throat> I have given it to another girl before, though. Sorry, I yelled at him. We had no kiss sex, but you used spit as lube, you idiot, and hung up. 
I was still on my parents' health insurance at the time and had to go tell my mom so she would buy the pills for me at the pharmacy. After telling her, the first thing she said to me was, that's what you get for having sex without a condom. She didn't really believe me when I told her how I got it. A few days after the blood results came in, my doctor called and told me I had herpes simplex type 1. I really thought I was ruined. No one would love me ever again. No one would want to have sex with me if I told them. I thought about not telling them, but then I would just be as bad as the guy who gave it to me. So that wasn't happening. I spent a good month moping about it, but researched it, reached out to some people that I knew had it, talked to them, and started seeing someone from my college. Before anything happened, I told him, I have to tell you something before we do anything. I have herpes. I don't have an outbreak right now, and I've talked to my doctor. I'm not contagious unless I'm having an outbreak, but I want to let you know, and if you don't want to have sex with me, I understand. He told me he didn't care. We didn't date for long after that, though. I had the same conversation two more times after that with two separate guys, including my current boyfriend. Neither of them cared either. I have been with my current boyfriend for almost three years. If I feel like I'm about to have an outbreak or do have one, we don't do anything during that time. I haven't had an outbreak really since the first one to the point where I haven't had to take those god-awful pills. I have had to stop and think this feels like an outbreak but I haven't had any scares in a year I did find out that the guy I got it from was using me as a side piece and he had a girlfriend the whole time and several other hookups I've always been wary and never reached out to those girls to tell them although his ex-girlfriend and I did have an extensive conversation about it and she was going to reach out to some people and warn them I'm over the stigma though. On my I'm sorry. I'm over the stigma enough on my own. Everyone in my life at this point knows, friends, family, and I don't hesitate to share it. I um if I overhear someone being shameful about the stigma. I've had to educate several friends about it. I'm trying to figure out how to end this email. I can't figure out a good way, but I'm happy. Things are good and thank you for letting me share. Um okay, and then this last point's irrelevant cuz uh They're just telling me not to share their name. So I want to thank you for writing in. I thank you for sharing your experience and your story. Um, Not too much really to dive into here, especially since you really brought it back full circle and just saying that, you know, you don't want to end up like that guy who gave you herpes, knew he had it and just didn't tell you. This is a very, very, very common thing where people have herpes and they just don't say that they have herpes. And I don't think there's enough accountability being put onto the medical field Because when people deliver a diagnosis to us, like that diagnosis delivery is part of STD prevention. And the prevention efforts come to essentially a halt or standstill at that point when you tell someone, just get out of my office or here you go. And you don't really give them next steps to move forward. I think that there can be a little bit of time that's extended to the patient, um, especially during in that space. Like, and if you don't have time, then point them to the resources that are necessary in order to help them move forward. And I use my own testimony as an example. Like I had to get treated for chlamydia twice because no one wanted to even tell me that I might have an STD. Right. So with that being said, um, there's, there's so many angles for this to, uh, be touched on. One of which is that people just, there are people who won't disclose 
and I got herpes when I was eight. You know, for you to have known that all this time from eight years old to at this point, what, 18, 19, 20, um, and not share that information. Yeah, if you get oral herpes and you're having sex, even if you're not kissing, then the skin to skin contact from other areas of the body, you can't tell me no one's going down on the other person here. Um, that That's enough to pass, transmit the virus, right? And so it's a matter of taking responsibility there. Um, if you are the person who's choosing not to disclose and you think that, oh, well, I just have it orally, so if I don't kiss, then I won't pass it on. Herpes is a herpes is transmitted from skin to skin contact. That's what we know. That's one thing that we know for sure, right? Is that it is passed on from skin to skin contact. We know that condoms do not cover the entire affected area. And um, for the people who are diagnosed and they go to get support from someone that should be a trustworthy source like a parent or family member or close friend and are immediately met with that that ignorance of well you should have used a condom no that's not how you 100 percent protect yourself from contracting herpes it just doesn't work like that because realistically you know what they could say that would be honest is you shouldn't have had sex with somebody with herpes that's a more reasonable statement to make right but then we get to the point of how do they know? How do I know? You know, if they don't tell me, there's nothing I can do about it. So anyone who's met with that kind of statement, that ignorance, that shaming, please know that this is 100% just as a result of people's un unwillingness, miseducation um, about this virus. As we know, this is a tricky virus. It's a talented virus, the way that it moves, the way that it operates, the way that it sheds and passes itself on to others. All of these things uh, contribute to that. And I'm, I'm a firm believer at this point. Like, I, There's no science to support this, but I think that the more shameful and ashamed of it you are, um, I think that the more contagious you can be. So if you're the kind of person who is hiding this and you're doing everything you can, you're taking your medications, you're wearing condoms and you're being you know, uh, uh, you're being really afraid to have sex with someone, but you're having sex with someone, uh, you're afraid of passing this on to them because you don't want to tell them, whatever. I think that that's, those are the kinds of instances where this really does pass on. Like, those are the conditions that herpes needs in order for it to survive, thrive, and spread and reproduce, right? Because one of the links is being stressed, being depressed. One of the first things that I read was that you want to manage your stress. And so if you're stressing about when am I going to tell this person, how am I going to tell this person, or, oh, I better make sure we use condoms. I got to make sure that he keeps the condom on, that uh, her like she doesn't pull the condom off, or however these things are, or I have to make sure that I take my medication this many days out before I know I'm going to have sex or see this person. And all it takes from that point is just the skin-to-skin -skin contact to happen. So there's a possibility that you're going to pass herpes on to someone. So the best thing that you can do, one of the best things that you can do is communicate. Put yourself in the best position that you can in order to minimize the risk. Taking the medication, wearing condoms, these are two things that you can do. But the hardest part of this is just the communication piece. For some people, disclosure comes really easy. For others, not so much. And then for, you know, I'm not leaving out, you know, the people who are at risk of facing violence or uh, anyone who's in domestic abuse situations. Um, it's, it's more challenging for them. Right? 
And so for people who have the privilege of just not disclosing because they don't want to or because they don't want to be rejected or because they don't want to be embarrassed, you know, like, please, please acknowledge that privilege and recognize that and look at on the other end of the effects that that has on people that you'll probably never meet. You will never meet these people. You will never know what they're going through. You'll never know how they're going to be treated by the people around them. And you don't know what their situations are. And to have found out that, like, you know, um, from our the listener who wrote in, for them to have gotten herpes and then found out that they weren't the only person, like, this is one of several potential stories and outcomes. And she decided, the person who wrote in, decided, no, I'm, I'm going to disclose. So what about the other, let's say, five people, given that one in six people have herpes? So assuming that he's been sleeping with regularly five other people that he's not telling one of those other six people could not respond the same way that our person who wrote in responded which is i'm gonna disclose i'm not gonna be like him one of those people could be like you know what he did it to me so i'm gonna do it to somebody else and then bam you've got another one of these statistics that are happening right so it's it's an entire cycle and the minute that we can begin to get to a place where it's like, all right, well, you know, I'm going to not necessarily take this moral high ground, but just be honest, be honest with yourself, be honest with your partners and take responsibility for, yeah, it, it shouldn't be solely on us as the people who are positive to have and initiate the conversation. Um, unfortunately, that's just how the cookie crumbled here. Um, we're the ones who are expected to disclose if we have a positive status, whereas like the majority of the world, you would assume, doesn't have any STI. So like it almost goes unspoken to that part of the sexually active world that, oh, well, if I don't have anything, I'm, I'm assuming that if someone had an STD, they wouldn't have sex, right? Because that's where I was. I assumed that having an STD was painful. Like, it hurts. Who's going to want to have sex if they have an STD? Disclosure wasn't an issue for me. It was more of like, ah, uh, people aren't going to want to do that and be in pain. But here I am, <laughs> you know? And even the places that I thought that I contracted it from, um, all of those people said, no, they didn't have it. So, I can say eight years into my diagnosis, I have no idea how I got herpes or who I got herpes from, you know, even though I've taken the precautions that I was supposed to have taken, right? So um, here we are <laughs> at this point in time. And, you know, the, the disclosure is always going to be um, like the, the one of the main topics of discussion, because when someone's diagnosed, this is kind of one of the first things that they're concerned about is, do I have to tell people? When do I have to tell people? Is there a way for me to get around having to tell people? And the honest answer is yes, you have to tell people. I mean, you can do whatever you want to do. But at the end of it all, um, like I said, I believe that the more transparent we are able to be, then the less uh, the less sticky, the less, um, what's the word? Uh, there's probably a better word for this, but the less like... The more transparent we can be holy, and I, I, I mean holy with a W, not H-O-L-Y, um, then it's almost kind of like the, the transmission aspect of herpes sort of becomes transparent as well and doesn't stick to the other person. It's when we're holding on to that stress and 
anxiety around passing it on that it more likely passes on to a person. And that's, you know, my experience. That's what I think. That's been what's happened with me. I've taken the precautions necessary with my partners who do and don't have herpes. Uh, well, with those who do have herpes, it's been a little bit of a different um, precautionary thing and conversation, which is also something that I want to touch on um, as we finish this up here about the email. But yeah, I I want to challenge people to hold the medical community accountable, right? So if you do have herpes and you're at a place now where you're comfortable, when you go to the doctor and um, you talk about sex and STIs, like make them uncomfortable because you had to be uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable when you go in for your diagnosis and you're met with, oh, here's your, uh, you're met with such coldness or you're met with such discomfort because oftentimes they'll project onto you how they're feeling. Um, and at this point, if you have herpes and you listen to this podcast, you know enough, you know enough about this virus to be able to speak to it and say, well, challenge them and ask them, well, what can I do? Like, how do I have sex? Uh, do I have to disclose? Ask them these questions. And then when they give you some bullshit, call them out on it. What are they going to do? Not write you a prescription? They're going to not do their jobs? No. So let's start doing that. Let's start holding the medical community accountable because this is where it starts. It starts with that diagnosis and how people receive their diagnosis often dictates um, whether or not they choose to disclose, how they disclose, and how they go about seeking more information as they move forward. So all that said, thank you for writing in. Um, I'm very sorry that that has been your experience. I am so happy to hear that you are now at a place where things are good and you're happy. So I appreciate that. Now to get into the subject of um, what I wanted to talk about has just been, um, well, shit, basically my therapy <laughs> sessions. Uh, we're at a place now where 10 people are enrolled in therapy. We got 12 sessions for 10 different people. Thank you for all of your donations. Thank you for the kind words. Thank you for sharing the resources from the H on my chest Instagram page and from something positive for positive people. All the people who've interviewed me and allowed me to come on and talk about this process and speak this into existence and get to the place where it is now. You know, we're in three and a half years in from the time that this originated as a podcast. And I think maybe six months in, I was like, man, I really should try and get therapy for people who are struggling with herpes. And, um, you know, nothing against coaches or anything, but like this kind of healing that takes place is a huge necessity for people. You know, if you're someone who happens to be able to afford coaching, um, then perhaps looking into a therapist or counseling service is also something that you may benefit from as well. So, um, the the I'm not really sure exactly what the coaches do. I'm um, I'm aware that they just kind of like challenge you or keep you accountable. Like these are accountability things. But uh, speaking from my own experience in therapy, you know what I'm finding is that my therapist challenges me to challenge myself more than anything else. And as I connect with the people who are also enrolled in therapy through something positive for positive people. Um, one of the common things is that they're surprised. You know, these are people who have experience with not just, you know, their own life experience, but also with 
uh, others and they're able to view this from a professional lens and be able to say things like okay well this sounds like depression it sounds like blah 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 and you're able to ask them the questions that they can revert back to their schooling their their education and be able to support you through in that way right so one thing that came up was convenience dating for convenience might be the topic of it or the uh, title of this podcast episode how convenient is it to date someone with herpes. We talk about the dating sites and options that are out there for us as people who are living with HSV. And I want to get more into the habit of saying HSV over herpes as well, because, you know, HSV, people are like, what's that? And then you can go into more detail about it. You say herpes and you're instantly met with this barrier of resistance, given whatever bit of knowledge the other person has about this virus, right? So, um, given that we're, um, we're positive with HSV, positive for HSV, we've tested positive for HSV, whatever way you want to spin it, uh, it's easy to want to just connect with people based on the fact that they also have herpes, right? One of the most common thing things that I find with people is that we're so quick to jump into dating or relationships uh, out of the convenience of not having to worry ourselves with herpes when having herpes often has so much to show us so much to teach us and we completely put it off and avoid it by either dating only exclusively within our community or the first person who accepts us as we are right and by default i wanted to say there's nothing wrong with that but there is there is when it's unconscious when you are so unwilling to look at your diagnosis and what that represents, I think that you often will find yourself in a situation where you're looking up and it's like, damn, I don't even want to be with this motherfucker. Like, you just look up and you can't stand the person that you're looking at. And all this resentment that's been building over however much time because, you know, it's it's easy, it's convenient, that shit explodes. And I'll use myself as an example, not just with herpes, but in other ways that I can tie into my diagnosis. So... Uh, I impulsively quit a job and moved back home to St. Louis. Uh, it's been three and a half years now, almost four years ago, right? Um, resentment had been building for the two years that I was at this company of things happening. And I just wouldn't say anything. I just kind of dismissed it, swept it under the rug, avoided it. But literally, that resentment was gunpowder. And I just kept like storing gunpowder, storing gunpowder. And all it took was a spark for that shit to explode. And when it exploded, it looked like, fuck y'all, I'm out of here. I didn't say it that way. But it was just more of like a big two middle fingers and then walked out. I left. Um, Another example, a relationship that I ended it had been building and building and building and these were this was me not talking about it i wasn't expressing my feelings i wasn't saying hey when you do this thing it makes me feel this way and i wasn't really able i wasn't at a place where i could communicate things very well uh i just knew that something was wrong and i was like no i'm tripping you know don't dismiss yourself with i'm tripping or they tripping Don't do that because what's going to end up happening is you're going to come home one day and you're going to look at that person and they're not going to be doing what you've expected of them. And then you're kicking them out and sending them back home. And now, you know, you're willing to deal with whatever it is that you got to deal with from as a result of the consequences. But you're not thinking about that at that time. You just erupt in an explosion. Right. So, bam, there's another situation where when you find yourself in situations, uh 
you, you find yourself in situations that you're not, you're not, you're not managing expectations. Let me say that when you're not managing the expectations well, because at work I could have been like, Hey, here's what I'm being told. Here's what I'm doing. Where's the disconnect here? And being able to have that kind of conversation. If you find yourself in a situation where you're unable to have that kind of conversation, it's unhealthy because we need to be able to articulate our boundaries. We need to be able to have ongoing communication in all areas of our life, whether it be uh, friendships, family, relationships, uh, passions, career, volunteering, even, you know, wherever it is that you're sharing space with other people, boundaries need to be articulated. And ongoing communication has to be something that is valued and prioritized. Otherwise, it won't work out. Otherwise, we find ourselves uh, trying to honor the expectations of another person that we think they have rather than being able to bring it out into reality from them, from us, and then meet here. Uh, in front of one another and decide, okay, well, here's what I'm hearing. Here's what I'm seeing. I use this analogy of imagine you're standing across from a person and you draw the number six on the ground and you tell them, hey, this is a six. That person looks down and they go, no, it's not. It's a nine. You're like, no, I just drew a six. Why are you telling me? How are you telling me what I drew? Fuck you. No. And then it turns confrontational. There has to be a willingness and what boundaries to me look like um, and communicating that is like, hey, you know, I took the time, I put the six down here, and you're telling me that you see a nine. Like, what, what? how is that? And then they're able to explain, well, here's where the curves come in to make this look like what I'm seeing as a nine. Oh, it's the curvature from your angle, and then you're able to shift positions enough to see, oh, yeah, you drew a six, and it looks like a nine to me. Let me switch sides with you. And now we're able to see from the other person's perspective, right? Bam. This is the kind of stuff that has to happen, and it is inconvenient as fuck because it's not easy. It's not uh, there. It's not something that we can just suddenly um, just wake up to being able to do. It's a fucking process, and it's challenging. It's a challenging process, and it's something that's going to require ongoing challenge, ongoing communication, and you're going to have to challenge yourself. You're going to be challenged by the universe around us, like making sure that this is what we want because we're constantly being tested to live up to be the person that we claim to want to be. And if we're unwilling to do that, then when those challenges come into our space, we're going to continue to fail. We're going to continue to fall into the exact same patterns that we always have. And the only way to really get out of those patterns is to once you find yourself in that situation again, you have to change the behavior. So changing the behavior could look like, all right, I constantly find myself in a job where I'm being asked to do something and then I do it and it's not being done the way that the person wanted, right? So here's where things come in, like asking questions like, okay, well, you know, when you ask me to do things and then I give them to you and they're not what it looks like, you know, it it makes me honestly not want to do work for you. It makes me not want to work for you anymore. Like this isn't my shit. It's your shit because of your lack of communication or perhaps I'm just fucking up and doing something wrong. So boundaries on both ends just look like having a hard conversation and being like, Hey, you know, here's what I'm asking for in more detail. You know, if you can't, if you can't deliver this, then I need to ask somebody else to do it. Or if I can't deliver this, then maybe you need to ask somebody else to do it. Right. In relationships, what do you need? How can I be supportive of you? What do I need? How can you be supportive of me? And that's what boundaries do. 
that's what I'm learning that boundaries do. Boundaries are 100% um, teaching people how they can love and respect you. And you're able to figure out how to love and respect another person just by honoring their boundaries. Okay. Now, um, uh, I, I feel like I'm drifting away from the point that I was trying to make. But in therapy, one of the things that came up, uh, we mentioned lowercase Courtney in two episodes ago, I believe. And lowercase Courtney showed up in sports. My very first, one of my first football games. Now, I've always been a pretty big dude, um, like for my age group, let's say. So I played, what was it, tight end um, in football when I was in seventh grade. And I remember very vividly coach uh it wasn't coach Morris it was another one of the coaches I can't remember his name but my coach yelled from the sideline you know we'd been playing for a while and he yelled Brain hit somebody and I was just like bruh like we we in the game like I'm not getting a pass thrown to me and I'm blocking for the most part so I'm either blocking for the run play or I'm running out to get a pass thrown to me and at that age nine times out of ten you're running the ball so anyway uh, we passed this play. I run my route or I block. I forget which one it was, but the whoever had the ball thrown to them, they're running and they're definitely about to score a touchdown. Me being told hit somebody, I'm chasing down people in the opposite color jerseys and I'm just fucking them up, like pushing them in the back. I think I might have pushed four or five people because I remember uh, like three different refs threw flags at least, but I did what I was told. I hit somebody. And once the whistle blew and the play was over, there was however many yards of a penalty that that added up to, especially in seventh grade. I don't think any of the referees seen anything like that before, but I hit people. I hit people just like I was asked to. I get ejected from the fucking game because apparently there's this thing called clipping where you're not allowed to hit people in the back. So here's a perfect example of uh, that lowercase version of myself who's doing um who, who uh, that resentment just kind of exploded right there. And if you can look at this from seventh grade and take it back to me exploding on my then girlfriend, kicking her out or me exploding internally at work and then just quitting my job. You know, uh, this was what we covered in therapy about um, the, <sighs> I'm, I'm trying to tie together multiple things. So I'm, I'm, getting stuck with the storytelling piece of this and like actually putting in the nuggets here. So we will, we'll put a pin in that right now and just use that as the example of not, not meeting people's expectations or, you know, doing what you think a person's expectations are. I had no way of knowing it's my first football game. I've never played before. I didn't know you couldn't hit people in the back and for you to yell, hit people, you know, you're, I'm doing exactly what you told me to do, but it's not right or it's not what you've asked of me. You're not giving me enough information to do what needs to be done. I just know you're you're angry that I'm not hitting people, so let me hurry up and hit people. That's how that was received, right? And um, the way that this the way that this kind of translates into lowercase Courtney is because all right, caps lock Courtney would have been like, well, you know, he's saying hit people, but. You know, I'm, I also have, like, I got to do this. When we run in plays, this is what needs to be done. So I did, like, the bare minimum of get in your stance, ball snaps, run your route. Okay, now hit somebody. Like, just default like that. Whereas should have been, all right, I'm going to ask him what he's talking about because I don't see what the problem is. And when we came off to the sideline, whenever I was sitting on the bench, coach, what you mean hit somebody? I'm hitting people. I'm blocking. I'm running my routes. What, you, what do you mean? 
And then he would have said, boy, you too damn big to be out there not laying people out on the asses. That's essentially what it was, is that I wasn't like fucking people up the way that he expected me to be fucking people up. And I can see that now. I'm 31 years old, so 12, 13-year-old Courtney, you know, didn't have this range of perspective that I now have. So I couldn't see that at that point in time, right? But just looking at that and tracing it back into adulthood, like that's the thing. And so... Now, when we get into the topic of uh, when we I want to take it back to a matter of convenience, like it's convenient to just conform to what other people want, no matter how damaging it might be. So if, you know. Lowercase Courtney. Essentially is protecting myself. Right. And what that protecting myself looked like in terms of uh, that football game I wanted to keep playing football. I wanted to keep my starting position. So I got to keep coach happy. I'm going to do whatever coach says. Coach says, go hit somebody. I'm going to go hit somebody. Right? Whereas the inconvenient thing would have been, what do you mean? Like questioning him. Right? And as a kid, you don't fucking question adults. You just do what you're told. Right? When you grow up with that, you become an adult and you don't question things. You just kind of go with what's there. You do what's told and you make your assumptions or you, you operate from a space of, I think what they're saying they want is this. So that's what I'm going to go with. And here we get into boundarylessness, right? <laughs> Fuck, I did tie it together. That wasn't that bad. I was proud of myself. <laughs> and so um, not having... These uh, not having boundaries for yourself, not being able to give people what they need, the blueprint of how they can love and respect you and receive uh, the blueprint of how you can love and respect others. It, it puts us in positions where, OK, I have herpes and this person accepts me. Bam, I'm, I'm good. That's all I wanted. And I think that it really shows us just how desperate we can be for acceptance, for validation. Um an STD diagnosis is a sexual trauma. I think that this sexual trauma, the fact that it is a trauma, um, the way that we view sexual trauma, we would say, oh my God, you should talk to somebody. Have you seen someone about this? And we say that in reference to mental health. So in a sense, a sexual trauma is a mental trauma. And how do we treat that? We seek a licensed mental health care professional, right? So that is... That's that's a really good opportunity for us to take in looking at this as not necessarily a sexual thing, but a mental thing, right? Because look at how we do relationships. Look at how we date. I have a podcast episode dropping next week uh, with someone who was diagnosed at a young age immediately after uh, a divorce. So the first person that they date after they got divorced was someone who gave them herpes. And I won't spoil too much of that, but I think that this is a really good in-between episode to give you this background and information going into the next week's episode. So I'll be sure to, um, I'll be sure to make sure that this ties into that very well. So um, why do we do that? Why do we why do we date for the convenience of I have herpes and this person that accepts me is who I'm going to move forward with? We do it because it's easy. Um, from things that I've heard from other people, we do it because 
you know, it, it, it is a struggle. Having boundaries is a struggle. Identifying boundaries, upholding boundaries, like it's it's a risk. It's very low risk for us to just date people with herpes. But low risk, low reward, right? High risk, high reward. So the high risk looks like disclosing and that person outing you to your family, being a shitty person to you, telling every oh, excuse me, telling everybody that person possibly getting herpes, and then high reward. I have it too. It's not really a problem for me. I don't care. I like you. Oh, you have herpes? All right. That's fine. No, that doesn't change anything. And you get this long-lasting connection out of it. This this meaningful connection. Let's say that. like You get a whole meaningful connection and... It, it lasts the duration that it's supposed to before it transitions into whatever it transitions to. Be it friendship, be it relationship, be it nothing at all, <laughs> or a one-night thing, or a weekend thing, whatever. That's high reward. And I think that we can become so attached to thinking that what is ideal for us is ideal for us, when in reality it's not. You know, and I, I'll use myself as an example here. Um, I recently just released this whole idea that I had, I have to have non-monogamy in my relationships. I don't. What I do have to have is freedom to a certain extent. And I think that non-monogamy to me has always represented freedom because I've associated freedom uh, with being able to have sex with whoever I want. And what sex represents in that metaphorically is emotional connection. So I need to be able to freely connect with people because what connection looks like is me being able to interview people the way that I interview on this podcast. Like people really let their guards down with me. I need for that to not be a threat to my partner, partners, um, whatever uh, type of relationship I find myself in. I need to be able to be seen, I need to be heard, I need to be understood and accepted and known because I've not had that in any of my relationships in the past. And so since making the decision to release that, I now am in fact open to um, whatever the relationship is supposed to look like as long as I get that thing that I want, which is to be shown what freedom looks like. And it may not look the way that I think it does. It could look a whole different way. Someone is going to see me in a way that I've never been seen before, and that's when I know. That's when I'll know that I'm ready for whatever type of relationship that that's going to be. So, uh, this is something that you know I had to come up with on my own, and it's inconvenient as fuck because now I'm my options are limited because in pursuit of that, I'm not gonna bother entertaining anything that doesn't have that kind of potential. So I'm not interested in being fuck buddies. I'm interested in being seen. Like I said, how sex, you know, has represented like this emotional connection for me. Um, it's also important that I'm able to have my emotional connections and I have platonic uh, friends that I'm attracted to, but it's not going to go past that because I'm getting that intimacy that I want on an emotional level. Um, and it doesn't have to be sexual. It just doesn't. It doesn't always have to have that. So like sex without emotion to me now is just completely unappealing. So my approaches, man, are like, I just want to fuck, no feelings, no emotions. I'm like, ah, I don't need that in my life right now. 
<laughs> and that's what boundaries look like. Boundaries look like I I am for myself. I am not tolerating anything less than what I know I deserve. And that's how everyone's boundaries need to be. And so when we go through this, when we talk about um, what that looks like and how inconvenient it is, like I find myself in conversations or in uh, the, the safety net of distant relationships as well. And I meet a lot of people who have herpes. I meet some through um, the podcast. I meet some through other podcasts. I meet some through shit Instagram, the number one dating site for people with herpes. Uh, when you put yourself out there, you find yourself connecting with a lot of people. And some of these people, to me at least, are off limits, right? For various reasons. And I'm not going to share that here, but <laughs> some people are just off limits. And that's okay. Like, that's what it is. It's inconvenient to have that boundary of them being off limits because you see the potential there that could be because, like, oh, well, we both have herpes. Oh, we're both uh, advocating in this sex positivity space. We're both understanding. We see each other. We support one another. But, like, all relationships don't, all connections don't need to turn into intimate sexual, physical relationships. And I'm all about just the connecting piece because I'm, I'm learning that there's so much more that can come out of that than just sex, right? And I, I say just sex, but sex is, in fact, something that is important to me. Um, it's not more important than friendship is. It's not more important than me having my freedom, right? Because, I, shit, I prioritize sex over my freedom, and I say that my freedom is the most important thing to me. And when you when you prioritize something over your values, over what's important to you, you become a slave to it, right? So, I, not that I've been a sex slave, <laughs> but that's just one way to look at it. Um, unconsciously, not knowing what sex represented to me, that's what I've been. So, again, you know, sex was a way for me to emotionally connect. A way, not the way, but a way that was major to me. So, essentially, I've been a slave to my emotions for a really long time. And not knowing them, not wanting to be with them, not expressing them. And this whole process of getting into that has been, what? Inconvenient. Really inconvenient. Damn, I've said so many curse words here. I'm going to have to mark this one explicit, unfortunately. So not everybody's going to get to hear this podcast episode. Uh, don't do that. Don't do that to yourself. Don't date for convenience. And we can also uh, interchangeably replace herpes with anything else. So let's remove herpes from this. I've been in a relationship where um, it was convenient for us to live together. And it was convenient that... Uh, you know, the, the timing of it and the relationship and how it looked and how uh, we could just be together. We didn't have to worry about dating and anything like that. Like, I've been in these kinds of relationships. I've been in a relationship where fuck buddies turned into dating one another, boyfriend, girlfriend, and I didn't want that, right? So it was convenient for me to just give the other person what they wanted and, you know, become a slave to my feelings because, yeah, I'm having these feelings, but I'm getting what I want. So fuck my feelings. I'm getting what I want. Fuck my feelings. Again, resentment is gunpowder and it's storing in a spot. All it's going to take is one little spark for that motherfucker to blow up. And that's what happened to me. That's what happened to me a number of times. And these are the things that therapy is really highlighting for me. Now, you add herpes to the mix. Herpes, let's consider it the magnifying glass. And we look at 
you know, what what is it that keeps coming up for us with herpes? And we talk about the convenience factor. So conveniently, I have this whole entire platform set up to where um, I can, I'm, I'm putting myself out there as a person with herpes, as a guy with herpes, which is fucking rare. Like I'm a fucking unicorn in this space because I'm not only uh, someone who's herpes positive, who's open about it. I'm also a guy. I also happen to be attractive to women and I've set myself up in a position to where people can just instantly have access to me and now we can start dating. But like, I know for a fact that one thing I don't want is just for that to be at its core what this is about, like the interaction is about. Don't want to date me just because we both have herpes because that's easy, that's convenient. And you're not going to be the kind of person that I need who's going to be willing to look at those things, those parts of yourself and ourselves that we may not want to talk about, that may be challenging, that may be hard to look at, right? So do this for yourself as well. You know, um, if, if herpes... If having herpes on both sides makes it uh, a, a convenient relationship for you, ask yourself, would I be with this person if I didn't have herpes? Because I think we just change how we look at ourselves based on what we believe about HSV and the HSV stigma. Well, shit, is there even an HSV stigma? <laughs> like, we hear herpes stigma everywhere, but let me, let me see some HSV stigma shit. Because when we're evolving our language around it to call it what it is it's herpes simplex virus the virus that causes herpes outbreaks when we give people the facts and the information about it from that angle then what they don't really have something to fall back on by default until they hear the trigger word herpes right so this really triggers a challenge for us to not date for convenience not operate in convenience because how you do one thing is how you do everything look at the other ways that uh Having herpes has made you look for convenience. And then look at the ways that it's inconvenienced you. Yeah, outbreaks suck ass. Yeah, uh, having to disclose sucks ass. But, like, look at the necessity of it. Look at the look at the challenges and what they brought to you uh, from this. Yeah, you disclose to someone, and then they're like, nope, I don't want herpes. Okay, well, what was all this shit you were talking before about how awesome I am? Does that just go out of the window now? Of course, nobody wants fucking herpes. Like, if I if I had it my way, I wouldn't have this shit. But I am damn grateful for all of the experiences that have come, all of the people that I've met. Like, I accept it. I'm okay with it. And I hope to be able to use my experience now because I've really avoided and put off sharing my experience. It's been going through therapy that's made me more receptive to the idea that Herpes did have a much larger impact on my life and who I am than I want to give it credit for because I I don't. I, I used to be like so resistant and be like, man, fuck this herpes shit. It didn't do that. Like I would have gone through this anyway. No way would I have started a podcast talking about herpes if it wasn't for my own herpes diagnosis. I'd probably just been like, you know, most of the people out here who instantly uh, write a person off because they say they have herpes. That would have been me, Right. And here I am now, you know, given my situation, given the fact that I do have herpes and I'm in this space, like I'm here and I'm at this intersection of so many different things from being a cisgendered, straight black man in 2020 in the United States of America, in Missouri, a fucking red state, uh, who's podcasting, who has herpes, who is open about having herpes, who's a, uh, a, a nonprofit founder, 
an executive director and has all is touching people in ways that people just don't get touched. That's that's uh, I'm not editing this, but I really wish I could edit that out right now. <laughs> that was like the worst possible way to say that. Uh, but no, I, I think that it is really important for me to put my healing, my emotions on display. And this has always been a safe space for me to do that. And I think that over the past few months since starting therapy, this has been my outlet for emotions. Um, a few people and then this podcast. So I'm able to say things here that um, as I learn to get more comfortable with expressing things verbally, vocally, via text, however... Uh, verbally, vocally. I cannot believe I just said both of those. Another thing I want to edit out. <laughs> uh, I'm able to share my experiences here in a way that hopefully people are going to be inspired to share their experiences either with me via email or, you know, send me a message, uh, reach out or open up and share with other people. I'm a different person. Um, I'm not the same person I was at 25. I couldn't have done this podcast at 25 years old. I just couldn't. I couldn't be in this position I'm in because I'd have fucked it up. And what I mean by that is like how I recognize the convenience, inconvenience aspect. Um, I think it took until I was maybe 26 or 27 before I started to realize that I didn't want to be with somebody just because we both have herpes. But 25-year-old me, if I was in this position right now, like... Oh, yeah, non-monogamy is great. Uh, I've got a dozen partners that I see y'all. Yeah, that's that's not that's not me now. Um, but it's who I could have been. It's who I could have turned out to be because of that convenience piece. Like now I, I want to inconvenience myself with the process of getting to know someone, getting to know people, um, not having disclosed. Well, my one of my partners now. You know, um, I disclosed to her and I was nervous as fuck because we hadn't, it was like, is this even the time? It's early. It's the first day. You know, just let me go ahead and get it out there and just told her. And at the end of my disclosure, she was like, oh, I have it too. And she gave me the same thing back. And I like respect the shit out of her. And I was so excited that she didn't just like look me up and be like, oh, well, this is what you do. Um, well, I have herpes too. And this is convenient like that shit like I like that feeling of anxiety because again risk reward high risk of me disclosing to her right now her being like nope not doing this and then the high reward was you know me too <laughs> so allow yourself to be in these positions to where you're uncomfortable to where the risk is high because the reward is going to be high and uh, in running away from the opportunity to experience pain, experience rejection, experience um, that, that, that hurt, that disappointment. You're also running from excitement, the thrill. You're running away from joy. You're running away from the, the potential excitement of having this pleasant, pleasurable experience. Um, running from hell, you also avoid heaven. But in the more like sex positive way, we're going to say in running from torture, you're also running from pleasure, from fucking just this cosmic merging that has the potential there. Because I think at the end of the day, that's what we all want. We all want the same thing I want. We want freedom to be ourselves, freedom to just be. And we want to be seen by someone in a safe way with someone who is who our being is safe with, our emotions are safe with. Can I cry in front of you? Can I make corny jokes and laugh until I cry with you? Can I 
uh, be vulnerable and express like this pain that I'm feeling? Can I say things that I haven't even put into words yet with you? These are the kinds of things that we are also avoiding when we run away from inconvenience, when we run away from the possibility of rejection. So don't don't miss out. Don't allow yourself to stay in these shitty relationships, being treated like shit, all because it's convenient. Well, it's safe. He's there, you know. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to tie this in here too, but I'm running out of recording time, and uh, I, I'm I'm just gonna have to get an iPhone. I have to get an iPhone again because this this shit just isn't working for me. I <laughs> I didn't even realize it's been. 51 minutes and 52 seconds until I just look down and I feel like I've been talking fast and I still have so much more to say. But um, as far as like, uh, there, there was a conversation that I had with one of our uh, podcast guests that we had on before and we were talking about the intersections of our work. I, as a cisgendered, heterosexual, black man with herpes, there's a lot expected of me and I find myself, you know, the conversation that we had was just like, you know, how do you, how do I, how do I fit all of these people? Like, how do I please all of these people? How do I serve all of these people? And um, it's easy to go into that. Well, I think that this group wants this from me. I think people with herpes need more herpes content. I think people who are struggling with their mental health need more mental health content. I think that people who are sex positive need more sex positive content. I think that the people who view me as a therapist need more of that kind of content. No. What it is, is you identify that thing that you so strongly connect with and you stick to that. That is your intention. That is going to be your driving force. And when you do that, it just so happens that it expands into all these other areas. People look at me and they go, you're doing such a great thing for people with herpes. It's like they, they call me the herpes, the herpes podcast or the dude with herpes, you know, whatever that makes, whatever case, whatever the case may be at its core. I am here for suicide prevention. It may be 10,000 people who say thank you or hear this podcast, hear my voice, and are excited about the resources being provided. But that one out of 10,000, that one person who tells me, hey, I found your podcast when I was going through a really rough time. I was depressed. I was suicidal. I attempted suicide. And then I finally, I just Googled herpes and I found your podcast and it's just been so helpful to me. That's who I serve. That, that one in 10,000, uh, those, that dozen people who reached out to me with that story, whatever it is, like, that's who I'm here for. And in turn of being here for those people with the intention of just keeping someone here on this earth alive a little bit longer, it's expanded into the herpes space, sex positive space, the, uh, the, the social justice issues space, um, women's rights, uh, the sex positive movement in general, which encompasses all of these things. And like I'm seeing in so many different lights, but it's like, bruh, this is, I'm, I'm only here cause I like, and this is why I like Goku so much from Dragon Ball Z. Like Goku just likes to fight <laughs> at the end of the day. He wants to get better. He wants to be the strongest. He wants to protect earth. Right. He fights for the joy of fighting. Right. And for me, if I'm bringing in that analogy, like I'm just here because I like living. I like life. All of this shit that comes with it. Yeah, you know, I've been unemployed. I've lost jobs, got fired, struggled, been broken up with, got herpes, like got fucking chlamydia twice in the same week. <laughs> and so all of this to say 
I am here for life. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to live. I'm here for uh, people to find me living and want to live. Like, come live with me. You know, Goku is like, hey, come fight with me. We'll get stronger. Come live with me. We'll live better. We'll, 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 we'll enjoy life. We'll thrive in it. Let, let's all do that. And it's inconvenient. It's inconvenient as fuck. Because sometimes you're going to get your ass kicked if you're Goku. And sometimes you're going to be misunderstood. And you're going to get your feelings hurt if you're Courtney. But that I can deal with this inconvenience. I can deal with that more so than I can deal with the convenience of just just living up to those other expectations exclusively. So, like, I'll post shit on Instagram. Some, like, I'll post podcast episodes. Sometimes I get 20 likes. I'll post a meme about herpes and get 500, 600 likes. That ain't what I'm here for. Like, I, I can dabble into that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, again, something positive for positive people is a suicide prevention resource. It just happens to expand into mental health, sexual health, sex education, um, relationships, boundaries, and all of this is coming from my own healing experience, from my own relationship with suicide. I've never been suicidal because I've loved life so much, but people around me growing up, they've attempted suicide, they've idealized suicide, and here I am now in a position where um, people are able to find this resource, and if they are experiencing that, like I'm a place that they can come to. Like I said, you know, come live life with me. So if you're someone who is struggling with herpes and suicide ideation or you've attempted suicide, like, come here. Come come find me. Like, let me know that this is what you're going through. I'll be here with you. I can't really provide you with any personal, like, mental health counseling services, but I'm, I have the resources and tools to be able to connect you to the support that you need. So, again, just come live with me, right? Uh, it's It's inconvenient. If you don't like your life, if you hate how things are, if herpes was such a bitch to you and now you have the inconvenience of having to have conversations with partners, maybe outbreaks, have to live your life better, work on yourself, work out or move your body, um, work on your nutrition and manage your stress and take care of your mental health. Yeah, all that shit's convenient, but inconvenient, but it's worth it. It's worth it as fuck. So stay here with me. Continue living, continue to go through the inconvenience, the ups and downs, the suffering, the struggling. Come come go through all that shit because we got a whole community here of people who are welcoming you with open arms. And all you got to do at this point is reach out. We're supportive. We're here. And um, we're, we're, yeah, I don't really know how to close that out. <laughs> so if you listen through all of this, I appreciate it. Um, the trucks and cranes and tractors and stuff outside were not near as loud or frequent as they could be, which lets me know that this is something that was supposed to have been done. Um, I'm going to go ahead and upload this podcast now. Thank you so much to our sponsors, BetterHelp and Let's Get Checked, which is www.trylgc.com slash SPFPP for your first uh, at-home STI testing kit to get 30% off of that. Make sure whenever you check out, you enter the code SPFPP at the end there. Um, I mentioned earlier, we got 10 people in therapy, and with this, I'm going to have a good sample size to put together something for fundraising purposes and present this to people and be like hey you know here's how we're helping people who are living with herpes by getting them the mental health care services that they need give us money so we can do this more replicated across the board um where i, I put it out there with better help about you know being able to expand this network so that maybe i can find therapists in their network across the world 
and be able to pay for people's therapy directly through that. So um, the how we get money is going to look different, but I'm very confident in uh, the donors that we have, the people who are regularly donating or who just drop us $5, $10 here and there. All of that helps because I'm negotiating my ass off to get these rates down so that we can get as much as we can from who we have to work with and we're working with some great people. Um, bum, bum, bum. That's it. Uh, visit www.spfpp.org, the website, and if you go to the uh, press uh, media coverage tab, you'll see all of the recent podcasts that I've been on, and we were on the This Podcast Will Kill You podcast, which was very large, probably the biggest one that we've been on, and um, that that's one that brought a lot of people here, so uh, that's got a lot of great information about herpes, the history, the stigma, where we are with it now, and information about the virus, because I don't talk about those things myself, but we got two virologists that do. Till next time, stay sex positive.